Working drummer. Now kick it. This is the Working Drummer Podcast, serving up perspectives, experiences, and stories from ground-level working pros. Advice, tips, and secrets on how to build a career in the music business. Hey everyone, this is Matthew Krause, and you are listening to the podcast, Working Drummer. Today my guest is drummer Casey Todd. In the short time that Casey has lived in Nashville, he has cultivated an impressive reputation among artists and songwriters like Jace Everett and Canadian rising star Aaron Goodvin. This summer in 2017, Casey starts touring with the band Tonic. Casey has been exposed to the music business his whole life. His father is a member of the 50s and 60s tribute band The Vandells. Casey subbed for his father's band for the first time at the age of 16, and shortly after college, he became the full-time drummer and continues to tour with them when he's available. This experience became the determining factor for Casey to make music a full-time career. If you like what we're doing here at Working Drummer Podcast and you want to help sustain this ongoing project that Mike and Zach and I have been doing for over two and a half years, there's a way that you can help. And there are many progressive rewards for those of you who can help. I'm talking free Skype lessons with pro drummers like Ben Caesar and Carter McLean, free working drummer t-shirt, access to bonus content, shout-outs, Twitter follows, and even a personal feature on you within an episode. Check out all the details at patreon.com slash working drummer. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash working drummer. Donations start out at a dollar per month. If you sign up to the end of June, you'll be entered into a raffle sponsored by Innovative Percussion. It is a slew of sticks and other things along with a beautiful stick bag. And you can see the details at patreon.com slash working drummer. To find out more about this episode and to find an archive of every episode that we've done, you can go to workingdrummer.net. On there, you can find information about the podcast, about how to donate and support this podcast, as well as new merch that we've got, t-shirts and stickers. Those are coming very, very soon. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, and while you're there, leave a rating and review this really helps us grow. So let's get to it. Here is Casey Todd. I want to get right into it because I want to ask you about Tonic. Yeah. So that's just recently has happened. It's, it is very recently. Yeah. I've played one show with them so far. Okay. So <laughs> it's, it's very and, recent. And. Uh, yeah, it was great, man. Uh, we've done a couple of rehearsals and yeah. um, man, it's been a blast. Like mm-hmm. I was telling you earlier, it's the first rock gig that I've played in years you know everything's been country and americana and you know which i i love that stuff right but to be on a gig where it's like hit as hard as you can and it doesn't matter about how loud you are and right it's it's been very different and and a lot of fun man it's it's really cool because i grew up listening to those tunes yeah being in seventh grade and getting that first lemon parade record and playing basketball with my friends to it you know <laughs> so yeah yeah it's kind of crazy how it all comes around but what's and so what's the what's the rest of the summer the rest of the year look like um right now it's all like weekend stuff for a couple weeks and then mm-hmm. we do a tour with collective soul and our lady peace okay and we're out for like three weeks with them two and a half weeks i think so yeah, yeah and then they're adding dates left and right after that so it's, it's looking pretty cool <laughs> 
And, and I imagine that this type of gig has got to be different in the sense that the, that the, the monitoring situation, the setup is going to be different compared to some of these, some of the, 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 the Americana yeah. songwriter stuff that, that you were working on too. So well, what's that like? Everybody right now is on wedges. Really? Yeah. Wow. Um, nobody's on ears um, except for I'm going to ears the next gig. Yeah. Cause it is so loud on stage. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's almost overwhelming at times cause there's so much sound uh-huh. that sometimes it's hard to, you know, figure out what's actually going on. Um, cause it's just musically. Yeah. Musically. Cause it's just a wash yeah. of sound. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm going to go to ears and I'm the only one on ears. Okay. So as you know, I mean, so many of the players that I that I interview um, are Nashville guys, like you are. Yeah. And but it, there's so many country gigs, and there's like a formula for uh, some of the larger arena type yeah. shows that some people are doing. And so, it's the ears, it's the click, it's the whether it's with tracks or without tracks and things like that. So. I think for a lot of people, they're thinking tonic. Oh, well, it's 2017. So, yeah, we're already running ears. Maybe there's a click. Maybe there's not. Maybe there's there's tracks. Yeah. But it doesn't sound like there's that. Man, that was one of the first questions I asked when we got into rehearsal. I'm like, all right, are there tracks? Do you want click? You know, I'm assuming we're on ears. Mm-hmm. And it was like, nope, 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 nope. Just, yeah. Just play. And now I am using click on a handful of things just to get tempo started and especially right off the bat, just cause I want to make sure, you know, yeah. these first couple gigs that the tempos are right and we're mm-hmm. not too all over the place. Mm-hmm. And, uh, there's been a long line of great Nashville drummers who have played with them. And yeah, most of them you've had on the podcast, yeah. you know, Kevin and, mm-hmm. uh, Matt Billingsley, mm-hmm. uh, Rob Mitchell, Ian O'Neill, you know, mm-hmm. lots of great guys mm-hmm. that, and they've all been very gracious and have given some advice and, what was that? What was some of the advice? Um, Kevin Murphy's was hit as hard as you can. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Matt sent over a bunch of click details and what songs he uses click on, what tunes he doesn't use click on. Uh-huh. Um, just kind of some notes because he's been playing with them more recently. And okay. So, yeah, just it's been great to have that community too, just kind of yeah. back you up and say congrats. And, yeah. you know, here's what to here's what to do. Here's what not to do and yeah. have fun. So. Um, I don't do this enough, but what we did for the people who don't know, we met for breakfast. So it was, it was yeah. awesome to kind of like just catch up a little bit yeah. and then we can dig into this. But, um, one of the things you talked about was just that sense of community that Nashville has. Um, and I, again, we, we always say that like there's, there is a community of drummers anywhere you go, but, um, it becomes, uh, it can be contentious depending on what work is available, right? And um, and still, there's competition because there's only one drum chair in 99% of the gigs that are out there. Right. <laughs> so, so again, it's nice to hear that you've got players that are saying, "Hey, by the way, here's some information for you to yeah. get through the gig." Yeah, it's been awesome, man. And I, you know, I try and do that for anybody that comes in behind anything I'm doing, you know, I'm more than happy to send them charts or yeah, any sort of click details, all that kind of stuff. And so, and how many tunes did you, are you using any charts at this point or just kind of like, uh, I have some notes and I have all the charts written out. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I was like, I think 20 tunes is what we're working off of right now. Yeah. So, 
Yeah. Compared to a lot of gigs, that's that's like, oh, I can do that in my sleep. Right, yeah. But <laughs> it, the situation is, is, is probably different in, in some respects where you just can't fly by the seat of your pants. You're going to have to know. Definitely. I, nothing against you know, some of the gigs I've done for the past couple of years in the sure. country and Americana world. But I mean, this is rock and roll stuff where they tried to make things as interesting as possible, you mm. know, to where there's a lot of different riffs and licks leading into things that in the country world necessarily aren't there drum wise, you know, mm. it's two and four on the drums. And then, yeah, you know, it's a formula that works right, right, right. where in this kind of stuff, it, it seems a little more involved. Okay. So was there anything new that you had never done before? Or, I know you say you're, you're hitting harder. Yeah, definitely hitting harder. Anything um, change setup or stick wise or anything like that? I went with bigger sticks. Yeah. Okay. I, I used to play with like five A's uh-huh. and now I'm up to five B's. We'll see how long that lasts. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, outside of that, I mean, it's, it's pretty straight ahead, you know, of, of a lot of the stuff that I've done in the past, but mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's been fun. How about like, um, cause I know some people, they want it just like the record and some people are like, whatever, or do your thing. We, we hired you to do what you do. That's, that's kind of how this gig is. You know, there are certain things obviously form wise that you have to pay attention to and make yeah. sure are there. But for the most part, you know, there, there have been a few things where I've asked, well, this is how it is on the record. This is how it is on the board tape. You know, what do you want? And the response has always been, well, play how Casey would play it. That's how mm-hmm, I want it. Mm-hmm. So, which is always great. Yeah. Know? Yeah. Man, that sounds, it sounds fun. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. I think the first time we met was at a showcase here in Nashville. It was, yeah. And were you playing with the Vandells I was, on yeah. that, that showcase? Okay. I played your kit, I think. The Gretsch kit? Yeah, The blonde yeah. Gretsch? Yep. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and I, I wasn't living here at the time. No. Yeah. No. So you've been here for how long? Six years now. Or coming up on six years. Was it that long ago? Yeah. That was probably seven or eight years ago that that was. Because I think I was planning on moving down here Okay. Um, at that point. But yeah. I don't know that any plans were officially in place. Okay. But. Um, I'm kind of working my way backwards here, but... Um, I want to talk a little bit about that gig. Yeah. Um, one thing right off the bat that I noticed about your playing was your hands and just this, you had, you were in tune with the style that the Vandals were doing and it just, it matched it really well. It's well, like, well, you. here's a young dude that's playing the, the, the genre of music that the Vandals. Maybe you can explain a little bit about yeah, that it's as all, well. Uh, it's all 50s and 60s mm-hmm. stuff. They're a, a 50s and 60s show band. Yeah. But, um, it's an eight-piece band on stage all together. And, uh-huh. um, yeah, everything from doo-wop to Motown, Elvis, mm-hmm. um, all that genre of stuff. So. There was a lot of respect to that style. And, um, and, and a lot of that, the drumming that was being played during those years and the drummers that were doing it like Hal Blaine and those yeah. guys were so heavily influenced by jazz and by what was popular the decades before that and mm-hmm. so you see this evolution of rock drumming in the early days resembled so much jazz and so much of that type of music and and you were playing it's I think that a lot of that stuff gets 
lost in translation. And it's like, yeah, man, well, I'm, you know, I grew up on tonic, so I'm going to play what I play when I play this Elvis song. But you were doing that. You were playing the, so, but, but you have a a longer history with the band. I do. Yeah. Uh, My dad actually owns the band and is one of the lead singers and has run the group since I've been alive. So he started uh, in 1974. Okay. And that's all he's ever done and all I've ever known him to do. And so I grew up kind of on the road with him and watching just this great line of drummers play this stuff. And also just listening to that kind of music constantly. It was, I think it was like middle school, like sixth grade that I first would turn on like pop radio of the time. You know, it was always, I grew up in Cincinnati and it was always, all right. I'm going to listen to the oldie station. Yeah. Always. You know, there was never yeah. any question. I didn't like Nirvana or any of the stuff that yeah. was happening. Yeah. You know, right, was, right. That it, all my friends were listening to. I'm like, oh, no, that's terrible. Why would I listen to that? <laughs> and, you know, then finally got into, you know, what was happening. And, right. Uh, but I think that's where a lot of that comes from is from up until I was 12 or 13 years old, you know, only listening Mm-hmm. to that kind of stuff and i started playing when i was five so oh, wow. that's all i played along to you know yeah. I'd turn on the radio and play along to that or play along to like vandell board tapes and oh wow so yeah so did it did it seem like okay someday i'm gonna play with my dad's group oh yeah yeah, yeah i i couldn't wait to get on stage um wow yeah so i i knew from a very young age that playing music is what i wanted to do uh-huh I don't know what it was about the drums that made me gravitate towards it, but mm-hmm. from what I hear, I was always turned around watching watching the drummer, and you know, from a very young age at restaurants, just picking up the silverware and mm-hmm. beating around on yeah. everything, and That's so. Funny. And the drummer in, in the the drummer at the time, the, the drummer throughout the ages was probably looking at you like, "Hey, kid, back off! It's my gig. <laughs> just just wait, just wait." It's funny because some of them are are Nashville guys. Okay. Um, so, uh, a guy who was there very, for a very short time, which I don't really remember because I was too young, but Marshall Pearson is a Nashville guy. Okay. He played with Roy Orbison oh, after cool. leaving the Vandells and, uh, David Parks played with the Vandells. Oh, right. right. Uh, Zach Stewart played with the Vandells. Okay. So, uh, there's a handful of guys that I'm really close to and friends mm-hmm. with, mm-hmm. you know, through all that. I met David when I was eight. So. Holy cow. <laughs> That's right, man. That's right. Um, did your parents encourage you to do this or in, in music? or It was one of those things where they encouraged whatever I was into. Yeah. Like My dad never forced me mm-hmm. to get into it because he knew how hard of a business it was. Yeah. To where if it's not what my passion was, then right. there's no point in forcing it because... Oh, yeah. I'm just going to hate it even more then. And so I, I started getting on stage when I was two singing with them. Just my dad would pull me up at the end of the night and I'd do all the choreography and sing along. And yeah. And, and is there any YouTube video of this we could find? There probably is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Embarrassingly. So, yes. <laughs> um, that's, that's always been my philosophy is, is like, with my boys, you know, hey, we're going to list this, there's this music I'm going to introduce you to, and music is going to be part of your education, but, but, you know, look, 
if you want to do it for a living, that's on you, man. Yeah. Because it's not easy. You have to have a certain mindset and tolerance yeah. for the stuff that is revolves around the time on stage. Mm-hmm. That, uh, yeah. Yeah, I learned to sleep in vans and cars and planes at a very young age. And mm-hmm. so now, like, almost any group I'm in, they always make fun of me because they're like, man, he can sleep anywhere. Give him five minutes in the car and he's out. And That's but good. I, I look that as an, at that as an awesome thing. It I'm is like, an awesome thing. I'm you know, jealous. I can, I can yeah. sleep anywhere. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I get that. Um, well, but you also have listed uh, piano and singing and bass and things. If we just talk about like the instrument. Yeah. So what's your experience with that? With um, those instruments? Well, in high school, I thought that it would be cool to play guitar and play mm-hmm. bass. And so I think I started with guitar and wasn't very good at it. And so then went to bass mm-hmm. and played in a couple like punk bands doing the whole pop punk thing and mm-hmm. which is what was popular, you know, when I was in yeah. high school and yeah. uh then ended up switching back to guitar because it was all just power chords, so it was easy to yeah, yeah. to do and yeah. um then from there ended up learning how to play piano. Uh, mm. I went to school for music, so right, I had to right. do all the piano courses and all right. that. And right. um, I failed my piano proficiency three times. And <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, I guess that leads into the whole discussion with the Big Bang. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. I had gotten a call from uh, actually a girlfriend of mine at the time. She had said, oh, I just went to this new club in Columbus. Like, you'd love it. It's great. Like, it's all request. You have to come check it out. And so I did. And, uh, the owner was like, Oh, here's my number. You know, I'd love to have you audition, come check everything out. And I'm like, okay, cool. I'll, uh, you know, audition for the house drum and bass spot mm-hmm. and, you know, could bounce back and forth. Cause all those guys play a little bit of drums, a little bit of bass. Okay. And so I'm like, well, while somebody's not on drums, I'll play bass and vice versa. And the owner was like, cool, no, like two songs on piano. I was like, oh, I'm not a piano player. I can't play. And mm-hmm. he's like, cool, but I mean, you, you know enough. Just like have a couple things ready. I'm like, all right. So I did. And he came out and was like, all right, cool. You got the job. Um, when can you know 30 songs? Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, I, I mean, on drums and bass, like I, yeah. I know a million You're songs. You're ready to go. Like, yeah. yeah. He was like, no, no, on piano. <laughs> I'm like, wait, wait, what? What, what are, I told him two weeks. I don't know why I said two weeks, but he was like, all right, I'll see you in two weeks. And I just walked out of there going, what the heck did I just do? I got to go learn how to play piano now. Yeah. And so that's really when I started playing piano. You know, I had some basics from piano class and all that stuff in right, college. Right. But yeah, I just locked myself in my apartment for about eight hours a day for two weeks and started with whatever songs had the least amount of chords that I already knew the words to and went from there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the thing. It's like, I think when you go to school for music, no matter what your instrument, there's always the piano classes. Yeah. Um, Now with that being said, I don't consider myself like a great piano player by any means, you know, I, did you end up like enjoying the experience and like, Oh yeah. 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 I love playing piano. Yeah. And it's, it's helped my Nashville experience too, because a lot of times I'll be the band leader and have to write charts mm-hmm. and all that. So it really trained my ears too, to where, you know, I can hear where it's going to go. And 
write a chart that makes sense to everybody else in the band. Right. So. Right. You're kind of in a unique situation where your father is a musician and touring musician and, and doing all that. So was there ever a time where you thought this is not maybe I'll do this, but I think I'm going to focus on this or that, or did it just seem like this was all you ever wanted to do? I think it's just all I ever wanted to do, you know, at least some form of music. Um, I got into theater for a little bit in high school. Mm -hmm. And then when I first got to college, uh, I lived with a bunch of theater people. And Mm -hmm. so I thought maybe that was an avenue I wanted to go into, but then was like, no, I need to be playing drums. Yeah. And, but always something in music that was, there was never a question that I wanted to be on stage or in the studio. Right. So early on, I mean, did you, did your dad connect you with any teachers or what was your, what was your education like before college Um, with, with drums or with music? Mainly just school band stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, I took a few lessons here and there, but yeah, it was mainly just, uh, the high school band and I had a great band director, um, Mm -hmm. coming up. And so he, really tried to instill you know learning mallets and which i fought tooth and nail okay i didn't want to play marimba and xylophone and all that stuff but um yeah from there just knowing okay well now i need to go to college and Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. well music is the only thing that i care about so right that's that's what happened (laughs) and 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 you're from cincinnati yeah but you went to school in columbus yep where I'm from. Yep. And then uh, you went to school at Otterbein. I did. Yep. In Columbus. Uh, Westerville? Yep. Yeah. Because I grew up in Worthington, so okay. I kind of yep. knew that area. So what was your area of study? What was... Uh, I started off in music business mm-hmm. and then dropped the music business part just to music. And then yeah. they started the jazz studies program. So oh. then I was kind of one of the first to go through the jazz studies program. Oh, okay. okay. Um, which... It's funny because there's a big rivalry between the school you went to, Capital, yeah. and Otterbein. And, but the crazy thing is that it's all the same teachers. You know, they're all like jumping back and forth between schools. So <laughs> a lot of the people that I talked to that went to Capital had the same exact teachers that I did. Yeah, and yeah, so. yeah. Did you, I mean, did you like the experience? I great? did, yeah. I, I, I've heard a lot of people kind of dog on the you know, college and music experience, but, mm-hmm. um, man, I, I wouldn't trade it for anything. It was expensive, but yeah, I, I still wouldn't, I wouldn't trade it because I think it made me a much better musician Yeah, just from having to do the symphonic band, mm-hmm. doing the jazz band, doing mm-hmm. the small quintets, the quartets, you know, everything, the, just the, the wide range of stuff, even right. doing marching band, you know, just having the full gamut of, yeah. of music. Right really just made me a better player. Right. Now, everyone's experience is different and everyone's path is unique. And I think that some of us are wired for different types of educational paths. And it could be uh, a strict music school like MI or whatever. But it it also, uh, I'm I'm with you. I mean, that was important for me to be at Capitol, to be at a a more structured type university Mm -hmm. where music was the central focus. But then there was also the other classes that were important. And then just the life and the friends that you make and that kind of environment, you know, and how to manage life and how to manage your own time. You know, that, that was really, so the, uh, on the, um, the, what was the piano 
gig the uh, uh the bar's called the big bang the big bang right yeah. right right so that was was that right out of college or was that during college yeah it was uh it was within my first year out of out of college okay that they had opened the club and i'd never even heard of a dueling piano bar before yeah right <laughs> and, right you know then thought it was cool and it was a way to make a living playing music yeah you know rather than you know having a day gig or right you know whatever it was at the time i was working at columbus percussion yes when yeah. i started yeah. uh doing the piano bar thing and then eventually just got too busy between outside gigs and the big bang that you know i didn't work at the shop anymore right but, right and um, you were there for a couple of years like around 2007 yeah so. i think i think 2007 to like 2009 somewhere in there mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, gosh, I was there in 95 wow. <laughs> to about 99 before I moved down here. Great place, Columbus yeah. Pro, Jim Rupp. Um, and you, we were talking earlier, you had taken lessons from Jim. Yeah. Uh, while you were there at the time? Yeah. Okay. Yep. And and did you take lessons on a regular basis with him? Cause no, it was like once every couple months Yeah. kind of thing. And he would always give me so much stuff to work on that it was like, all right. I need time to sit with this and, you know, actually work on it before I dive back in again. Right. But yeah, I I loved that whole time of working at the shop and I actually met a lot of the reps that I deal with now. Yeah. Um, just from being at the shop and then they had the drum days festival every year. So Mm -hmm. just getting to watch those players, we talked about teching for different guys because Mm -hmm. of that, you know, I got to tech for Jojo Mayer and like, stand behind him and just watch his bass foot the entire time, you know, and just sit in awe. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah. who else? Uh, Sheila E. Oh, wow. I actually, I bought one of, uh, I bought a DW kit that she used. Okay. One of those years and had her sign the inside of the shell. So I can say that Sheila E told me to meet her at her dressing room. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome, yeah. man. That's awesome. So it was, it was a great experience. And yeah. Yeah. On the education end of things, um, was there anything that your time with Jim that you still work on today or that you kind of like always kind of has stuck with you? I think just his swing and feel, you know, and just focusing on that. That was one mm-hmm. of his big things was always, you know, how does it feel? How does it swing? Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he's still one of my favorite players Yeah, today. I mean, yeah. definitely in the jazz world, I think he could, he could take almost anybody. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A lot of people aren't as familiar with Jim Rupp outside the Columbus scene, but yeah. he is, uh, he has, um, a presence in, in the town. Um, just a very kind of humble, mellow, yeah, he's a sweet very guy. Humble guy. Yeah. Um, that, I think people need to realize makes you more inquisitive to what this person can do. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I always wanted to know more. I took maybe two or three lessons from him. And, um, but I also heard stories about when he was in college that he would just concentrate on his ride pattern. Yeah. And over and over and over and over. And it, it sometimes comes down to, well, it, it comes down to that. Yeah. Not sometimes. That's actually one of the things that that still sticks with me is he had a pattern of like a circle that he would do Mm -hmm, on the ride. mm -hmm, And depending mm -hmm. on the tempo, that circle would get bigger or smaller. Yes. And that's how he would focus on 
on the ride and yeah. you know talking to the guys at zildjian when they would come down for whatever to do at the shop you know they would always be like oh man when we're sitting around the lunch table like we're talking about jimmy rupp's ride symbol like yeah man, that guy can play yeah russ miller who was on the podcast a couple months ago is from canton i think okay but he's from ohio and uh, so when I told him that I was from Ohio as well, he goes, oh, yeah, Jimmy Rupp. He said, when I used to play these gigs, people said, man, yeah, you sound great. You're no Jimmy Rupp. <laughs> but you're starting to, so even that reputation just yeah. still goes. Yep. It's still, it's amazing. So where do you go to find a treasure trove of information about vintage drums, custom drums, and legendary drummers? NotSoModernDrummer.com. Since 1988, Not So Modern Drummer is an institution dedicated to researching and documenting the history of modern drums, the art of drum building, and the legendary drummers who play them. The writers and contributors are some of the top vintage and custom drum experts from around the world. Not So Modern Drummer serves as an online gathering place and marketplace for the worldwide community of drummers who buy and sell, collect, preserve, and play these instruments. It also hosts drum-related events that are attended by drummers from all over the world. This website is easy and fun to explore, and the monthly digital magazine subscription is free. So check out NotSoModernDrummer.com. Did you know that that gig was waiting for you, that you had it any time you wanted it, or...? Um, sort of. I mean, it also wasn't a that I could have it at any time I wanted it. It was like there was no way that my dad was ever going to let somebody go to let me have the position. Sure, 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 sure. Um, plus, it was also a thing where once my dad felt like it was holding me back, he would have fired me because mm. he wouldn't want his gig to hold back any potential that I had going on. Okay. Um, so it just worked out to where I would fill in for guys when mm. I starting, I think I was 16 the first time that I did a full show with them. Okay. Um, but just through like family emergencies with a drummer here and there or scheduled conflicts. Mm -hmm. Um, and then after I graduated college, that's when I kind of took over as the drum set chair Okay. and, uh, did that for a while and it was nice though having that moving to nashville because the band is split between cincinnati and nashville okay so there was always a ride to gigs from nashville so that made it yeah, easy to move yeah. down here and be like okay well as i'm getting my footing in nashville right, right. i already have a gig uh -huh. and have a way to make money yeah. Plus, there's a piano bar here, the Big Bang, that yeah, right. I was able to not really transfer, but I moved down and just basically told the MD there, like, hey, I'm here. If you need me, cool. If not, that's fine. Like, I yeah. didn't move here for that. Right, right. But right. if right. you ever need anybody, yeah. I'm here. So. Has that worked out? I mean, have you gotten there's some work out of there? It has, yeah. Fun? it's I kind of call that my day job. Okay. Um, because whenever I'm in town and need you know, the work, I can right. almost always pick it up. Nice. And, uh, you know, it was, I, I didn't tell people that I worked there for quite a while when I moved here, but, yeah. uh, yeah. um, and that was more of a perception thing. Cause I didn't want people to see me as a piano player. Right. I was right. really worried about getting pigeonholed Yeah. In that people being like, Oh, well, he plays piano instead right. of no, he's a drummer. Right. Right. So, um, yeah, I, I kept that pretty hush hush for 
probably two or three years. Mm. And then finally I had a handful of people be like, dude, just own it. Like, yeah, you can play piano. That's great. You play piano and sing. Like, yeah. 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 That that's a plus. That's yeah. not a bad thing. Right. Right. But at that point I had, I felt like I was established enough as a drummer that yeah. I'm like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. I do this gig. Right. That's one thing we were talking about at breakfast was, um, the swirling perception that people are afraid to put out there out of fear that they're going to get pigeonholed in whatever they're doing. Yeah. And I think this is an important thing to bring up because we live, the, the way the economy is within music in general, the way the music business has evolved and the realities of the music business being what they are, it's less black and white where you play locally or you run tour with a big band, whatever. And so people are doing all types of things. And um, so I hear stories of people working day jobs and not telling anybody because they don't want to kind of give a false perception that they're not worthy enough yeah. to do this or that, or people picking certain things that they will do over, you know, like, well, hey, I don't do this kind of gig because I don't want to be pigeonholed as this type of drummer. I don't, I'm not here to say that this is right or wrong or whatever. I mean, everybody kind of, they may have a, a focus. They may be able to afford to focus on one thing and right. say, I want to be this kind of drummer or I want to be this kind of musician or whatever. But it, it, it concerns me a little bit that people are afraid to anyone finding out that they're doing some sort of a day job or playing an instrument that they, yeah. that they're not known for. Because there's this narrative that's been put out there that, well, if you do that, then people won't hire you for this. Mm -hmm. or, and it's like, well, who really cares? Yeah. I mean, for me, I think it, it really was a confidence thing, you know, yeah. that I definitely wasn't confident in my piano playing mm -hmm. to where I didn't want people to see that as, you know, this is what I do. And, oh, well, like. Now, with that being said, like I do that gig very well, but that's a very specific gig. Like I don't take many solos, um, but I know probably a thousand songs mm -hmm. that I can play all the chords, sing, mm -hmm. you know, all the parts. Mm -hmm. And but it's it's not a piano gig. Like a piano player would walk in and be like, "Oh, that guy has terrible technique," or you know, mm -hmm. could pick me apart, right? Just right, left right, and right, right. But you know, it's a fun gig. It's, it's more about being an entertainer there than it is, sure. you know, a musician. And even though I do play drums there, I mean, we're, we're having fun and screwing around and I overplay like, I mean, just <laughs> there's, there's four toms on that kit. In oh, the club. Really? So it's okay. like, you know, we're playing the police and yeah. you know, all this, all this stuff that I, it's very easy to overplay. So that was another thing too, is, you know, I'm like, well, I don't want people to see me play drums here because this isn't yeah really how i play you know yeah. this is just us being entertaining and over the top and stupid mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. well and 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 that's but but at least that's music and you know, people say well he plays drums it's like well he's probably and if 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 they're smart and somebody you want to work with they probably realize that yeah. it's like wow his understanding of piano and other instruments is going to make him yeah. that much better of a drummer well and that i finally realized once I started telling people, you know, that it was really respected, you know, everybody was like, man, like I couldn't do that. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. And you know, so many people that I respected, respected yeah. the fact that I could do that. And I'm like, wow. Oh, okay. I think that's what I'm saying is I think there's this false, 
narrative that we're putting into our minds about I agree like the perception that people have about us and what we do and um, and I think it's it this is this is a real thing and this is something that I struggle with too it's not like it doesn't exist it does exist mm-hmm. but there are very respectable players that sometimes juggle multiple things so you think about some of the players that you and I know that have coveted artist country artist gigs whatever mm-hmm. touring playing huge arenas but sometimes when the artist isn't on tour if you're not on salary hey guess what you're not making money for three months yep and so some guys are driving uber or they're working a day job or they're serving coffee or whatever and i think we just need to get over it i agree there's more to it than just being able to post something on social media that people will be impressed with. Right. You know, it's like, where are you with yourself? Well, I think so many people have that perception as reality thing going on, you know, where if you make it look like you're doing bigger things, then yeah. people believe that. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's true. Yeah. But that's not real reality. You know, right. you're, you're not doing right. that every day. And yeah. Yeah. So what's the answer to all this stuff? Oh, be yourself, I guess. But that's yeah. much easier said than done. <laughs> I know. I know. Well, I think being yourself is is sometimes really easy and sometimes really hard. Yeah. Um, I've found that, and I, I think I've heard people say it on here multiple times, but when you play like yourself, yes. that's when you play the best. Yeah. You know, and yeah. I've been very lucky that the last couple gigs that I've done, that's what they want. Yeah. They want yeah. me to be me mm-hmm. and not either the guy that played the record or the guy that was in the band before them, mm-hmm. you know, because mm-hmm. that's when you play best is when you yeah. play you. Right. And that transfers to life, just, just being who you are in general, Yeah, you know, and not putting up this false, this facade for, for people on a social level, on a business level, mm-hmm. um, because then people know who they're dealing with. And I think that at the end of the day, you're a lot happier. Yeah. And then that's when you established real rent, real friendships, real relationships, um, because a lot of this stuff in music and in business is fleeting. You know, there's a season for it, but being who you are is forever. Mm-hmm. So you have to, and, and I think that there's a lot of people that say, well, I want to stay focused on doing the types of gigs that I want to do. And if you can afford to do that, I'd say that's great. You yeah. should do that. You should focus on that because it's ultimately what makes you happy. Because the danger and the opposite of say, hey, look, man, I'm here to work. I'm going to do anything that I want to do. Because it, it's always walking. Uh, th- there's a balance between it. Because what I've seen is people that take any gig, any work just to pay bills, then they find themselves down a separate path that they never saw themselves on playing music they don't want to play playing with people they don't want to play with and hating music yeah i man i did that when i first got to town i took any gig and every gig that i could and yeah a lot of them were not mm-hmm. musically satisfying and right you know played for free for the first year to year and a half that i lived here yeah just carrying a cajon around basically mm-hmm. you know playing with every singer songwriter that mm-hmm. You know, didn't want to pay somebody. Right, right. <laughs> no, but but that was the step. That was yeah. a step to get into where you wanted to oh, go. Oh yeah, but it's funny because you never know where that call is going to come from. 
Right. I mean, I think one of the, well, like the, the Jace Everett gig. Yeah. I got that through a college connection. Okay. And a bass player that was a couple years younger than me that I went to college with, I didn't even know lived in Nashville and randomly ran into him at Paradise Park of all places on, Mm -hmm. you know, 2 a.m. and not sober. And, uh, (laughs) you know, I was like, oh my gosh, you know, I haven't seen you in forever. And then a couple weeks later, I got the call to go play with Jace. And then that led to the tonic thing, which, you know, also led to other work with, you know, Sam Lewis with Dan Cohen, you know, all these guys that right. I consider some of my best friends now. Right, right, right. That all came from a college connection. And I want to ask about Jace. Um, but one thing that you mentioned this morning was sometimes the worst gigs or the worst situations, you never know who's going to be there, who's yeah. going to see you, who's going to, you know, so and this and you've had situations. Well, maybe this it wasn't necessarily on the gig, but it was at a place where you would not have expected to right that to come in into well, a, a gig that, you know, you take because you're low on money and you're like, well, all right, 150 bucks. Oh shoot, we have to drive to St. Louis. Oh shoot, they aren't giving us rooms or meals. Oh, this is not what we expect. You know, mm-hmm. things that the artist doesn't tell you that mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. we should have known up front. Yeah. And yeah. Then oh, well they are going to buy a room, but they're going to buy one room for the whole band. Yeah. And but you know, that was all guys that I'd never played with before and then yeah. we all are doing artist gigs now. You know, right, and right. really good friends, and yeah. now it's a gig to laugh about. But right, and I think that there there might be a rite of passage for for those who you know f- for going through that if if you have to. Right, but to do that continually is 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 not good. Yeah, yeah. So um, I became familiar with Jace Everett uh, through his podcast. Yeah, yeah. Nashville later. Yep. And then learned more about what he does. And like, oh, he's a songwriter. Oh, he wrote that song. Yeah. <laughs> he's the, uh, he would punch me for this, but the True Blood guy. He's you know, a... <laughs> it's what a lot of people think. You know. Yeah. He's way more than that, but right, you know, that's, right. that's the, the first perception. Sure. Which isn't a bad one because no, not I all. used to watch uh, True Blood. I think I made it through the halfway through the second season. Yep. But my favorite thing was the track, the opening song. Oh, yeah. I'm like, wow, what a cool song. And, yeah. You know. I was the same way. My, my wife and I watched that show. And, yeah. you know, the opening sequence, you know, we always had favorite parts of that opening sequence that it was like, oh, yeah, that's yeah. cool. Yeah. And when I got the call, the, the bass player friend of mine from college, he was like, yeah, I don't know, some guy has some TV song. I don't know. Yeah. Like, are you interested? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, sure, whatever. Just whenever you figure out what. It is. Just yeah. let me know. Yeah. He's like, cool. So he sends me, yeah, it's some show called True Blood. And I'm like, dude, I love that tune. And like, yeah. it's that swampy, yeah. New Orleans-y sort of feel. And uh-huh. I focused on a lot of that stuff my last year of college. I just okay. dove into Stanton Moore, mm-hmm. Zigaboo, mm-hmm. Herlin Riley, you know, all of that mm-hmm. second line, mm-hmm. swampy, funky goodness. Right, 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 right. And so when I found out that that's what it was, I'm like, oh, yeah. Hundred percent. I'm in. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I reached out to Jace after a couple episodes that I really was into, and um, 
just said it, just told him, I said, man, I'm, 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 I love what you do. Um, I have a podcast as well. If you're ever interested in listening to it, just to kind of reach out to him mm-hmm. as a local guy. And, and I just, he does such a great job. Uh, Nashville later is the podcast that he does for anybody that's interested, even outside of Nashville, you should listen to it. Um, He's had a handful of guests that you've had on. He has, yeah. he has, yeah. Which I thought was like uh, I know uh, Ben Caesar and Kevin Murphy. Kevin Murphy, Rob Mitchell's been on it. Has he? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Jerry Rowe and and his wife um, from their group, um, but it's all over the map: uh, music, politics, mm-hmm. and, and everything in between. Anything Nashville. Yeah. yeah, but it's 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 really great. Well, tell me about that gig, man. What's what's that been like? It's been a couple of years, hasn't it? It has. Yeah, I started that oh, 2013, 2014, I think. Okay. Um, and he's pretty big in Europe, so most of our touring has all been done in Europe. And uh, the first run I did with him was like a string of shows in the U.S. And he's not that popular here and mm. but it's great music and was a lot yeah. of fun and then we went to europe and it was like oh wow he's not lying he he has a following here yeah and uh and did i think a week run in the uk was the first like uh european stuff that i did with him and then the following year went back and did three months in europe where we did norway <sighs> sweden spain germany the UK, and it was great, man. And what What is it about that, though? I mean, why is it some people are I think huge? they enjoy music over there more. I don't know. Yeah. That sounds... I, I know it's a rhetorical question, yeah. <laughs> because I know that's the answer. Right. Um, and it's nothing against, you know, the listeners here, because there are, you know, a lot of people in the U.S. that like good music, and... Yeah. But it's weird, because over there, they consider us country, which mm-hmm. I wouldn't consider mm-hmm. Jace's stuff country at all it's just the fact that he had a deal with sony in the early 2000s i think and was a country artist Mm -hmm. and but that was the only country record he did but somehow that stuck and even though we go over there as a rock power trio Mm -hmm. you know they they still bill us as country and it works though because they aren't trying to pigeonhole everything into okay well this is country you know jason aldean and luke bryan yeah 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 you know that's not what they consider country over there you know or not not just that right you know they americana would almost be considered country i think in europe yep you know on the jace gig were you in europe when you recorded at abbey road we were yeah okay I want to know about that story. I read some about that story in a blog that you have on yeah. your website. Yeah. So uh, and real quick, what's your website? Uh, just CaseyTodd.com. Gotcha. Uh, K-A-S-E-Y. Yes. T-O-D-D. Yep. Okay. Good. So, I mean, recording at Abbey Road is, is probably like the mecca of studios. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it was an unreal experience. The Beatles are probably my favorite band. You know, I don't, I don't know of any other band that i could put in front of them you know so right right right. that's like the the end all be all is to get to hang out there and record there and you know just walking in that room is just magic you know Mm -hmm. you walk down the steps and it's it looks like every picture you've ever seen of them in the studio and yeah it's so cool yeah and it was it was an awesome experience and you you have a great story and this is something that people who want to tour need to know 
about getting there yeah. that I loved. I thought it was really interesting. Yeah. So that, um, a, a professor of mine from college mm-hmm. actually was working on a textbook mm-hmm. and all about recording engineering and all that. And he wanted to get into Abbey road cause he wanted to do sound files at all of the major studios you know, that have been influential through all the years, you know, Abbey Road, uh, Studio B here, um, Muscle Shoals, mm-hmm. you know, and do, do all these different places. And he knew that we were going to be in Europe and was like, hey, man, are you all interested in coming and tracking at Abbey Road? I'm like, uh, yeah, <laughs> of course. <laughs> and so it ended up working out that we had like two days off. Mm. Um, and could make it down. Mm-hmm. And so with Jace, we did two tracks there. And then I did a bunch of tracks for uh, my old professor, Eric Van Wagner from okay. Columbus, and uh, got a bunch of audio samples for his book. And um, basically, the students are going to be able to pop in a CD or something and you yeah. have all of the Abbey road tracks right What's there. A CD? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it's probably all going to be a Dropbox file now, but, <laughs> but yeah, have all the access to all those tracks and be able to solo stuff. And it was, it was a really cool experience. Yeah. And we, we got a, uh, 1962 Ludwig kit from backline to, to use there. Okay. And, um, Man, it was just such a cool studio. You know, we were in Studio Two, okay. which is the room that the Beatles did most of the stuff in. But uh, we snuck over to Studio One, which is more of the orchestral mm-hmm. uh, studio, and they were all set up for the. I think the London Royal Philharmonic was doing mm-hmm. stuff in there, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. then in Studio Three, Giles Martin was in there remixing the Love uh, reissue that came out a couple years ago. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Because I think they, they reissued it in stereo, or okay. maybe they mixed it in mod, mod, which, mod. Which, which, whichever Giles it was. Is, Giles is George's son. Yeah. Who continued on, and yeah. he had a hand in that soundtrack. Mm-hmm. And for those who don't know that soundtrack, the, the uh, Cirque du Soleil yeah. love, love show, yep. and um, which I have not seen, but friends of mine have seen it. So I've heard it's it, incredible. Yeah. yeah. And um, it's all original. It's all the original recordings that have been mixed and mashed up, and and things like that that we all know and love, with the exception of one string arrangement during um, Octopus Garden, I believe, with Ringo singing, and that I believe was Giles's arrangement, or maybe it was George's arrangement. Yeah, I'm not sure, but something like that. But Giles had a had a hand in that. And it's a it's a brilliant recording. Yeah. And I believe today or this weekend is the 50th anniversary. It is. Of uh, Sergeant Pepper. Sergeant Pepper. Yeah. yeah. There's a, another podcast I listened to that I was listening to on the way down. It's called Something About the Beatles. And oh, it, if wow. you're a Beatles nut, it's, yeah. it gets a little pretentious, but it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's pretty good. It's really in-depth. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. The traveling to get there. Oh yeah. To the session. Do you want to say anything about that? Oh man, that was, that was really crazy. So we played Scotland the night before Uh and, um, I don't know. We played until 1am, something like that. Mm -hmm. Got to the hotel and then had to be at the airport, something like 5am to hop on a flight to get to London 
to then get to the studio in time. Yeah. And it was just one of those where everything that could go wrong definitely went wrong. We flew Ryanair, which we learned was a very bad move. It's one of those that it was super cheap, but then you had to pay for everything. Yeah. I mean, even down to getting your boarding passes printed. I think it was like, I don't know, (laughs) 20 euro or 20 pounds or something just for them to print our boarding passes. Wow. Yeah, it was. and, And they were giving us crap. You know, saying like, well, you know, you should have had this done. We're like, sorry, we don't carry a printer with us on yeah, the road. Like, right. And then we all had gear that you had to check all that stuff. We had to pay for carry ons. So it ended up being a crazy, uh, a crazy experience just getting to security. And then once we got to security, ended up like running to the gate to yeah. hopefully make it. And yeah. You know, it was it was a very stressful morning, and yeah. I was ready to kill somebody if I wasn't going to make it to Abbey Road. Right. And, uh, yeah, so we, we got there, then luckily got to check in the hotel and at least shower and <sighs> relax for two minutes before, you know, I had to walk over before everybody else because I did the session with Eric before yeah. we did the Jace session. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when you're on the way to the studio, though, that kind of clears everything up when you're walking you know i walked from the hotel to the studio and just walking down the street with my symbols and then walking up to the studio it's like all right this is cool this is this is pretty awesome yeah i always like to be just my head clear and everything because i want to enjoy the experience and i Mm -hmm. want to be present and i want to be able to be at my best especially in the studio because once it's down it's down yeah and so the idea of having like two or three hours of sleep, it's, it would stress me out to no end. Yeah, there was, there was a conversation before, uh, before we got our rooms at yeah. the hotel that everybody was on edge. And, you know, there were some, some tempers flying a little mm-hmm, bit. And mm-hmm. eventually it was just like, look, everybody just needs to chill out because this is going to be great. Like everybody just separate, do your own thing, relax, yeah. and then yeah. we'll come back together. Yeah. You know, which yeah. we very rarely got in any sort of argument yeah. on the road at yeah. all, but yeah. it was yeah. just no sleep and yeah. travel stress and mm-hmm. stress of going in the studio. And, but yeah, it turned out to be awesome. I think what's important about that is, is, is people need to realize that like you are sometimes in a band situation with people that you're friends with or become friends with or become close with. But there's so many outside elements that sometimes are unforeseeable yeah. that affect the way you relate to each other. And traveling can be super stressful. Yeah. We all have stories of just impossible travel and flight delays and sleeping on floors and things like that that um, you're not going to read about or hear about or people aren't going to post about necessarily unless they're just looking for sympathy. But it's the less glamorous part of things. And part of that is just keeping your shit together during throughout all of it. And I think that it it says a lot about who you are, not about what happens to you, but how you handle situations. For sure. You know, uh, because stuff's going to happen. And so how you handle it reflects uh strongly or poorly right. on you yeah uh and and that can lead to work mm-hmm. or firing uh so it's it's great to have your chops together and stuff like that yeah now you had a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow with that and 
at the same time, I'm sure that you didn't want anything to sully that experience. Right. So it must have been a mix of emotions. It was, but you know, once you walk into the studio, yeah, you know, you're at Abbey Road, so yeah. it all pretty much went away. Yeah, you know, walking down those steps and getting to play the pianos that mm. they played, and you know, just being in the control room mm -hmm. and seeing like in the hallway they had all the old desks out there like the old sound desks okay and, okay like you know just seeing those was really cool and it was it was great and there were like four channel yeah yeah mixers and then did they put two together or am i, I thinking no I, I, I think uh, i think eventually they put two together because yeah. they they had a couple of them out in the hallway there and old tape machines just sitting there i don't know if they were moving them or what but they were just <laughs> hanging out in the hallway <laughs> We talk a little bit about endorsements. It's been a while since we've yeah. covered this topic. Um, you have some endorsements. I do. And can you talk about kind of how some of those happened? Yeah. Um, some of them, you know, some of the smaller ones started just, I think, even in Columbus from meeting people through the drum shop mm -hmm. and doing enough work here and there that uh, I think my first one was LP and I got that through just winning a contest through Modern Drummer. Like, okay, there's a. Uh, I'll have to send you a picture of it at some okay. point. But it, I was in college and entered some contest in Modern Drummer and ended up winning. Oh, and nice. got a full page spread in Modern Drummer and Drum Magazine. Um, wow! And it was you know all about the contest and yeah, it's ridiculous because it's like all this LP stuff set up around my kit that is like 20 something pieces of LP gear around a ginormous kit that yeah. I would never ever play today. You know? <laughs> but, uh, but it started a relationship. Yeah. Yeah. It started the relationship. Yeah. And then from there ended up doing just little things like snare weight and, you know, little companies that I would meet here and there and mm -hmm. they'd give me stuff. And yeah. One thing that I that I understand is that a lot of times when people get an endorsement, it's when it starts with a company, it gives you a little bit of an in with other companies. Yes. So it can you can build upon that foundation. That that definitely happened for me. Yeah. Um when I got my Peisty endorsement, mm -hmm. um, I got that sort of from knowing some guys who knew who some of the people I worked with at the drum shop were. Yeah. So that's kind of where that started. And I had an in through that. But then once I got a gig that they felt, you know, was, was moving in the right direction and everything, mm -hmm. um, I met a handful of people who really made that happen. It wasn't, it was actually friends of friends that made the Peisty thing happen for me instead of me reaching out to Peisty, even though I had done that before. Yeah. yeah. I, you know, always got the response of, cool yeah this is great you know we'll yeah. talk at a future date sort yeah, of thing yeah, yeah. but then other friends who were peisty artists and had an in with the company were like mm -hmm. no you should really check this guy out he's mm -hmm. he works his butt off you know mm -hmm. he plays all the time mm -hmm. and i think it was when i got the morgan fraser gig okay. she was on curb at that time okay that was kind of when they were like okay yeah let's let's make this happen and nice but with that, I mean, I'd been playing Peisty for years and yeah. it wasn't going to change. Even right. if Zildjian came and said, we'll give you all these free symbols. Yeah. Uh, 
I love my symbols. Yeah. You know, and even if I had to pay full price for them, I'd, I'd still do it because right. that's what I love to play. Well, I think that's, there's two important things right there is that, you know, you, when you're looking for endorsements, find something that you love because this is, you're endorsing their product. Yeah. And, um, it's not about getting free stuff or discounted stuff. Right. It's about honestly endorsing something and developing that honest relationship. Well, and that led to the Promark thing, which led to Evans because mm-hmm. they're owned by the same company. Mm-hmm. And then from there, you know, once, like we had said earlier, once you have one, it kind of helps in in with others mm-hmm. and just kind of snowballs from there. But everything that I play, you know, is stuff that I would play regardless. And yeah, I mean, I'll just go ahead and say right now, I don't really get anything for free. You know, mm-hmm. I pay for almost everything I do. It's just at an artist price right, rather than right. which I think a lot of people have a misconception about too is, yes. Oh, well, you're endorsed. Okay. You get all these things for free. Yeah. No, I still pay for stuff. You know, yeah, yeah. it's yeah. just, I just have a relationship with these guys and I get right. a discounted rate, but there's more to it than just the cost. Right. The relationship, you get support. Yes. For that, for what you're doing. Mm-hmm. So there's more to it than, so which is, which is more important that you play what you love. Yeah. Because it, it, they're going to support you in, in what you do and, and you need, and the, that relationship goes both ways right um the other thing that 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 you brought up was that you had reached out to peisty and this well you know thanks for keeping in touch but you know i don't know if we're ready to do anything Mm -hmm. quite yet and then when you had some friends go to bat for you i'm sure that that kind of solidified it yeah the fact that you had reached out to them i'm it probably in a very respectful respectful manner or whatever you were probably on their radar so that when your friends went to them, it's like, Oh yeah. Okay. I know this guy's name. Right. I know it's, it's so you had laid some groundwork there. Yeah. yeah. I well, think there's I a had, way to do that. I had sort of an in from knowing a lot of those guys from Columbus percussion, too, but yeah. I think I was viewed as that guy, as the mm-hmm. sales guy and not the player, mm-hmm. you know? So there was mm-hmm. like, Oh, okay. Well, yeah, he is playing, but it's not, it's not, Right. what we want yet. Yeah. And then once other people started reaching out, then it's like, Oh, okay. No, he actually isn't the sales guy anymore. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And that gets, that kind of falls back into that perception thing. Yeah. As we were talking about before. <laughs> Shoot. We just contradicted ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's the perception becomes reality. to ask you about uh aaron good goodvin goodvin yeah he is a canadian artist okay um actually aaron's one of the first people i met in town uh, okay. that i started playing with he was one of those singer songwriters that i would play with for free mm-hmm. you know just playing cajon and just kind of paying dues around town and i started doing a writer's night I think it was like every Tuesday or something at a place called the attic, which yeah. isn't there anymore, okay. but yeah. you know, um, and I started running sound there huh. so that I could get paid to uh, play these writers nights. Okay. And so I started playing with all these people and Aaron and I struck up a friendship and throughout the years, it's just, you know, been on and off again. And he got signed to Warner Canada uh-huh. about, two years ago now mm-hmm. and from there um it's just been growing for him in canada he's 
I think number nine on the charts right now with his wow. latest single up there. Yeah, man. And uh, this is his second top ten so far. And yeah, he's he's crushing it. And he's a great writer. He's written stuff for Luke Bryan and John mm-hmm. Party, and mm-hmm. you know, basically in town is more known as a writer, mm-hmm. but up in Canada, he's known as an artist. And yeah. it's funny because down here, nobody knows who he is, but up there, he's a big, big deal. Right, you know, right, he's, right. He's on the radio and crushing it. But. Yeah. But that's a great example, though, of kind of like paying your dues, but trying to be really deliberate yeah. about what you need to do to get in the good graces of those who will put you to work. Yeah. And um, well, the the year that I was with Jace in Europe for three months I would do a run with Aaron in Canada go to Europe with Jace do a run with Aaron in Canada and sort of you know jump back and forth and I did more work out of the country and why do you hate America man uh, man I love America <laughs> just everybody I play with doesn't like to play here <laughs> but yeah it was, it was funny because people would ask you know who are you playing with what are you doing yeah. it's like yeah I, I don't play here uh, I'd love to I'd love to not be a seven hours, you know, mm-hmm. difference of a time zone. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, it's it's just funny how it works. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, and that's why for years Nashville wasn't like the live music. There wasn't a lot of live music. Yeah. Here in Nashville, because it was it was a hub. Yeah. You know, for things. Recording and engineering has always been something that. I've dabbled in for, mm-hmm. I mean, basically since I was in high school, mm-hmm. I was recording our high school bands and all that, just doing demos and recordings of tunes we wrote and stuff like that. And so as the years went on, I just, you know, kept diving into it more and more. And about three or four years ago, I really wanted to get my home studio rig mm-hmm. up and going and, you know, just started with crappy microphones and one of those just channel strips that had the eight inputs, you know, whatever the cheapest, I think I had like an M audio, like eight channel, uh, preamp thing Mm -hmm. that would work with pro tools. And then from there just kept upgrading gear, upgrading gear. And, um, I really don't have any formal training in it. A lot of YouTube training, you know, figuring out how to work plugins, how to work, you know, miking techniques and just getting the sounds that work for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the past year, that has been a great avenue while being at home. Yeah. And now it it waxes and wanes yeah, um, yeah, yeah. to where sometimes I've got way too much work and mm-hmm. then there's nothing. Yeah. Um, so I'd love to find a way to streamline that to where it's, you know, a right. constant thing, but it's tough. I've talked to a lot of guys in town about it and I think it just, you know, it's just something that I, I wouldn't say you need to have it nowadays, but if you know what you're doing with it, it's a great way to make some extra cash. And you're right. Um, I did a record with my dad a couple of years ago. He put out his first like all solo record okay. and I recorded all of that in my house and we did all the all the drums all the guitars all the vocals Mm -hmm. um we did the last vandell's record at my place Mm -hmm. um and then friends around town just doing demos here and there and uh just letting it build and just kind of letting people know hey i've got it 
if not cool but it's right. here you know right right and, right um but yeah that's that's something that i'm trying to grow mm-hmm. but i i don't know quite how yet you know it's I, I think it's more just being out on the road too and telling people you know who i run into mm-hmm. cool yeah i can do this all right oh great cool yeah just send a file over and yeah yeah and then they so get much all the files back and yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's it's really changed a lot, and uh, there's a lot more people doing it. But how do you separate yourself from the pack in that way? And and a lot of people are using raw files. So how much do you invest your time into learning how to apply maybe right. certain plugins to affect a sound or whatever? Because a lot of the clients are that are hiring you just want your perform. They want your performance more right. than anything else. Yeah. That's what I've found is that it's more important to have just a great, clean, full signal. Yes. Than it is to really know how to enhance it because I mean, if you're sending it to a studio or even Joe Schmo mm-hmm. who has you recording their mm-hmm. stuff, they have an idea of what they think they know about, compression and eq and how they want it to sound anyway Mm -hmm. so just as long as you have a strong signal yeah that's really all that all that matters yeah i think that's a great point uh i tracked a a brush track for a a duo in germany Mm -hmm. they eventually used it but i there was a there were some issues with the uh, signal not being strong enough because I'm thinking I'm playing softly. I listen to the mix. I'm like, yeah, that sounds good. But when you isolated the actual brush track, it wasn't very strong. Yeah. And uh, I only did one track for them. Yeah. So I kind of wonder if I uh, missed opportunities to do more with them because, I mean, for whatever reason, but I thought uh, I might have screwed that up. You know, to do more with them, mm-hmm. if that was it, right? If it wasn't the performance, if the performance was okay in their at their mind, maybe it was the fact that they weren't going to use me again because maybe like, well, he's obviously doesn't know what he's doing recording wise, and I think it was the signal, just yeah. like getting a strong sound. Yeah, and that's it's tough to do by yourself. I found you know because like I guess it it all depends on how your setup is, but mm-hmm. mine I have my computer behind me. And yeah, and I'm playing facing the other way. Yeah. So, you know, it's like a click. All right. Give yourself four bar of the click, you know, to yeah. make sure that you've got enough time to yeah. get set and feel comfortable. Yeah. And uh, but making sure that levels right. I mean, a lot of times if I'm going back and forth between brushes and sticks, you know, I've got to do a couple just practice runs to make sure to turn around and look at the signal on both top and bottom snare mm-hmm, to see what's mm-hmm, coming through. Mm-hmm. Okay. Go to this preamp, fix it, you yeah, know, all right, yeah, let's, yeah. let's mess with that to make yeah. sure that the, the signals there. Cause yeah. that's, like you said, that's, that's what they need. Right. And I offer, you know, to do the compression and EQ and all that stuff, but very rarely do anybody take me up on that. That's good to know. Cause yeah. I, I wouldn't know where to begin right now. Yeah. <laughs> I want to ask you about this gig you did uh, a couple days ago. Tribute to the wrecking crew. Oh yeah. That was uh, a blast, man. Okay. So is that all Hal Blaine stuff or, um, it was a mix of Hal Blaine and, uh, uh, Earl Palmer mm-hmm. played some of the stuff that we yeah. did. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's all of that, that era of stuff from the LA session musicians. Mm-hmm. Um, if you haven't seen the documentary, it's on Netflix mm-hmm. or, go to iTunes and buy it. Yeah. And, you know, it's well worth the 
money to buy. Um, and it's just a great story. I mean, really any of those stories, the muscle shoals one, the Motown one, uh, all of those are, are great documentaries, but yeah, I, I put that show together. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. It's been something that I've wanted to do for a while. And Uh after a show I did at Basement East, a handful of us went over to Edgefield to grab a few drinks afterwards. And we got to talking about it and they're like, man, we should totally do this. And I'm like, all right. And then I booked it, got all the players together and, you know, got the singers, let them Mm -hmm. pick the tunes. Mm -hmm. I think the list I compiled of songs for them to pick from was like, I don't know, 175, 200 songs. I mean, it was, it was a long list. It was very overwhelming. Yeah. And we ended up playing, I think 29 tunes the other night and man, it was a blast. It was so much fun. We did everything from, uh, mission impossible, uh, bonanza Uh to some Elvis stuff, moms and the papas, Mm -hmm. um, some beach boys, Mm -hmm. you know, it was, it was a blast. It was so much fun. I mean, when I saw that you were, I didn't know you had organized that, but when yeah. I saw you, I said, well, that makes sense. I mean, just the, your experience in the past and, and the times that I've seen you play, it's yeah. like, dude, I could totally see you doing yeah. this stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was, man, it was, it was right up my alley. And that's, that's more or less why I wanted to do it, you know, because I hadn't seen anybody doing that in Nashville. You know, yeah. there, I've seen yeah. a couple of Motown tributes. Uh-huh. I've seen, uh, the soul thing, you know, stacks and mm-hmm. muscle shoals, yeah. but nobody had done the wrecking crew, at least not that I'd seen. Yeah. And so we were like, all right, let's do it. It was a huge band. I mean, I think total with all the singers and everything, it was like 19 people. What? Yeah. We had two guitar players, three keyboard players. Uh, I was on drums, bass, percussion. Tom Hurst played percussion. Okay. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was a lot of people, but oh it was, it was a gosh. blast. It was I'm so bummed that I missed that. Yeah. We're, we're going to do it amazing. again. That's okay. That's for sure. Yeah. All right. You, finishing up the summer. How long is this, the tour, the tonic thing? Uh, tonic runs through mid July at this point. Like mm-hmm. I said, they're, they're adding more dates and So that's always a plus. And then I'll be jumping back and forth between Canada after the tonic things done with Aaron. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's got a lot of festival dates up there okay. and I mean, we'll see what all pans out, but at this point, just kind of jumping back and forth between tonic and Aaron and then the Vandells. Yeah. So I still yeah. play with them whenever, whenever I can. Okay. And, uh, my brother subs for me with them when oh, I can't be there. So, cool. So it works out. <laughs> oh, nice. Very nice. Yeah. What are you looking to do, man? What do you, where do you see yourself in like five, ten years? What would you like to be doing? Oh, man, I'd I'd love to be doing more studio work. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that was that was the goal when I moved here. Um, you know, was to to get into the studio session, and and that's why I started doing my own stuff at home. You know, it was because yeah. it was like, well, this is an avenue to get into it and be practicing you know, that whole world and yes. Yeah. Yeah. And really be getting work without, you know, having to be that first call session guy. Um, but I, I love the road too, you mm-hmm. know, so it's something where in an ideal world I'd be, you know, doing sessions as much as I can and then taking the tours I want to take, Yeah, you know, when yeah, they come, right, but right. you know, that's, that's, that's an ideal world. I don't know how ideal that'll be, but, uh, you know, but having a, having an idea of what you want to be doing is step yeah. one. I mean, Steve Jordan is kind of my right my my go to. You know, I've been a Steve fan for a long time, mm-hmm. and um, that's 
partly why I got into the recording thing too, is because he started doing the producer thing and yeah. I've produced a couple things and I love doing that stuff, man. I, yeah. I just love having ears on everything. And I think having, having just different plates spinning is, yeah. is important in this business. Yeah. I mean, I definitely don't make my living just playing drums. Yeah, you know, I play yeah. piano, I do the producer thing, yes. recording, yeah. and you yeah. kind of have to do a lot of stuff if you want to yep. make ends meet just yeah. in music. Yes. Yeah. I think it's very important. Hey, Casey, man. Thanks for doing this. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for having me. man. Yeah. It's great to meet and catch up and all that good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But thanks for doing this, man. Sounds good. Thanks, man. Thanks. As uh, Casey and I talked about, uh, the first time I met him was about six years ago at a showcase that we were both doing. And uh, the first thing I noticed, as I mentioned, was his uh, his hands. Also, his just kind of respect for the genre that he was digging into. It fit the music so well, uh, the way he was drumming. And it was, it was fun and impressive to watch. And I'm glad uh, that he's down here in Nashville, in my hometown. And I'm glad that he took the time to talk to us and uh, do an episode with us. Uh, once again, I mentioned the Patreon. This is a new thing for us. To the end of this month, June 2017, we are doing a raffle. You could be entered into a raffle if you sign up to become a patron of Working Drummer Podcast. Innovative Percussion has donated to this raffle. That's about 18 pairs of sticks, two bass drum uh, beaters, a pair of uh, bundle sticks, a beautiful leather case. Uh, it's probably close to $500 worth of stuff. I encourage you to check this out. Again, the rewards on Patreon is also something for you to check out. We also have brand new t-shirts, graphics on the front, on the back. We have stickers with the new logo. We're very excited about that. Shirts are going for $15 to $18. Um, you get a free shirt if you donate $10 per month to the Patreon thing, so you might want to consider that. But um, also... Um, we have those for sale on the website. You can find those under the label swag that Mike Jackson has been working tirelessly to get together. And I want to just pull my hair out and just blow my brains out working on this stuff. So my thanks to Mike and all the things that he does behind the scenes for us. And Zach, Mike's, uh, Zach, thanks Mike as Mike, but, but he Zach thanks Mike as well because he knows what a pain in the ass all this is. Stay tuned next week for one of Zach's episodes and thank you all for listening. Thank you for your support and please, there is a way that you can support. Help us keep this thing going. Help us keep the lights on and um, as we grow. And I appreciate you all so much and hope to see you around. Bye-bye.